How are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. If you have your Bible, grab those. Uh, we are going to be in the book of John this morning. John chapter uh, 4 is where we will be, and we will get there here in just a few minutes. Um, if you're wondering what happened to the drums, uh, we had a break-in this week. It was crazy. Should, no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. I sh- that's horrible to start out like that. No, uh, there was a wedding. Uh, uh, Carter Jackson and Amberly Bryant got married uh, yesterday, and so we were here celebrating and um, at their service, and, uh, and so uh, we decided, hey, let's, let's dial back a little bit. Let's just have an intimate morning of worship, strip away some things, and just, um, and just engage the Lord this morning uh, in a kind of a different, different little setting there. Man, I just I enjoy that. I don't know about you. Um, so that's, uh, that's what took place there. That's why we don't have the drums and all that stuff. And so, um, uh, but we are currently in a series. This is our second week uh, in this series uh, that is um, just looking at worship. J- just a, a series where we'll uh, kind of close out our summer before we jump into um, uh, our series when school starts back. And just to kind of like Jimmy said, just kind of pull the cat out of the bag a little bit. Uh, we're just going to be teaching through the New Testament this, this coming year. And so we'll just go along with the reading plan as we're, as we're going along with the reading plan. The sermons will coincide um, with that reading plan. And so we'll, we'll look at where we're at that week and just pray through and see where God wants us to go. And um, we'll just preach along through uh, with what you're reading. And so that'll uh, that'll be the game plan. But before we get there to that, we're, we're looking at, at worship. And so uh, next week will be even a little more different than what it is here this morning because uh, last week we defined what worship is. This week we're going to look at some things. And then next week we're going to uh, give you the opportunity to engage even more in worship, even outside of uh, just the norm of uh, Standing up and singing or sitting there and listening, we want you to engage and be involved because we do not believe that worship is a spectator sport, uh, but it's uh, something that the body of Christ has been invited to participate in and to uh, join alongside in. And so next week, um, like I said, it'll be a little bit different. We're going to have our family worship weekend, which just simply means that that kindergarten through uh, uh, sixth grade will be in the service with us. And so I'm excited to have them in here and uh, as a family get to worship and uh, show our worship and live out our worship a little bit different, but that'll be, uh, that'll be next week. So to get everybody up to speed, uh, this week we just defined what worship is last week. That's, that's all we did. We, we looked at what worship is and we landed with this definition here, to gladly reflect back to God the value of his worth. Uh, just a little quote I read years ago from John Piper, and I just believe that that's just a very simplistic, deep, but good uh, uh, definition of what worship is. Gladly, it, it motive matters. How we do it, our heart matters as we approach God, as we uh, give back to God. So gladly reflecting back. Reflecting just means to throw back, to send back, to give. So gladly reflecting back to God what the value of his worth. Just to regard something as important and how much that means to you. That, that's, that's how we defined it last week. And we also, said, we also said this, that a biblical theology of worship is concerned with the true worship of God. And so theology of worship is a good thing. To, to be a theologian is a good thing. It's just to, to understand and to know and to study who God is and, and, to, and to have a deeper understanding of his heart, his nature, his character, which invites you in all the more to, uh, to participate in worship and to walk alongside with. And so a theology of worship is just simply a study of how God views worship. We need to know and understand what he says and what he thinks about worship. And so we want to walk through that. We want to figure out why. Because when we do that, then we can engage more. We can be closer to 
We can walk alongside with even better. We can enjoy him all the more. So this, this is the game plan this morning. This is it. Game plan this morning. We're going to look at the, the how and the who of worship. The how and the who of worship. And we'll see that here in just a moment in John chapter 4. So, so join me as we pray and then we'll jump, in, jump into John chapter 4. Father, help us this morning to hear from you, to follow after you. Father God, to, to be obedient to, to who you are and what you've called us into this morning. Father, I just ask that you would uh, lead us Father, that, that you would uh, help us see what true worship is. And Father, that, me wait, that we may engage in that. Father, do a work in this place, I beg of you. Father, there be a heart here that don't know you as Lord and Savior. Oh, God, that you would awaken, bring to life, rescue, redeem. Father, for the heart here this morning that doesn't feel worthy of worship, Father, would you show them that that's a lie from the pit of hell. And God, that you would just draw them all the more. Father, we need you, we need you, we need you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 4, verse 3. We're just going to walk through this. Probably uh, a story that you're very familiar with, but let's, let's see where God takes us this morning. John 4, 3 says this. It says that he, he being Jesus, uh, and his disciples, they left Judea and parted again, uh, departed again for Galilee. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, so, so let's just let's pump the brakes for a second there, because whenever I see that, this he had to pass through Samaria, I don't know how familiar you are with this story or, or even with, uh, uh, with Jewish culture or even the Samaritans, uh, uh, but, but no Jew ever had to pass through Samaria. If, if anything, they would do their best to go around. If, if that means making the journey days longer, they would gladly do that because they would have nothing to do with these dirty, no good Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans were not friends, didn't like each other, didn't care for each other, not one bit. So when I read that this week and I saw that, I'm like, he had to pass through? Jesus had to pass through? It doesn't make sense in that culture. It doesn't make sense in that day that he would have to pass through Samaria because they knew good and well that you'd never had to go through that place. You'd do everything you could to go around it. So, So the Samaritans, who are they? See, they were the remnant of the northern Jewish kingdom who had intermarried with foreigners after the chiefs and nobles had been carried into exile in 729 B.C. So they were half-breeds. They had intermarried. They were no good. They had given up and turned their back. They had even once built a separate worship place of their own on Mount Gerizim, and they had rejected, they rejected all of the Old Testament except their version of the first five books of Moses. So to say that there's some animosity toward the Samaritans would be an understatement. And this was centuries, centuries old, this hatred too. But, but when I read this, when I look at this, man, man, does it not just show the heart of God all over it? Like, I just love the heart of God. I love the intentionality of our God. Because what the scripture tells us here is that Jesus had to. There was no way around it. He, he couldn't get away from it. He had to because he was about to have an encounter that would be raw and real and would change a life for all eternity. And he knew that, and he wanted to. So Jesus had to. Why? Because his omission. Man, church, if we would live our life like that, that we have to. No, I, 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 I've got to do this. I've got to go to this place. I have to have this conversation. I need to live this way. I need to, to, to show who God is this way. Man, if we lived intentionality, with that passion, with that fire in us, God was about to have an encounter with a lady that would forever, ever change her destiny. 
Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sachar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. See, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, sitting beside the well, about the sixth hour. So, so what we see here, Jesus, he's worn out, he's tired, he's, he's hot, he's sweaty, he's exhausted, and in that he is thirsty. And so what Jesus is about to do, he's about to show his disciples that worship from God, what kind of worship God seeks, what he longs for, what he, what he wants. And he's going to do that in the midst of, of a real-life illustration here from someone who would appear to be the least worthy of worship, who would appear to have no opportunity No invitation to sit at the table. So Jesus is going to flip worship on its head here in a moment. So verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So what Jesus does is he walks right in the middle of hostility. He sits down and then he asks for a drink. Middle of hostility, has a seat. And ask this woman for a drink. See, he's about to show his disciples, he's about to show this woman what worship looks like, what it's going to be like. And in this moment, this woman, as she's engaged by Jesus, she is amazed that he would even speak to her. A good Jewish guy would never speak to a Samaritan woman, would not even speak to a woman like that. I mean, he's a Jew, this, this, is, not, this is not right, this is not good in the culture in this day. But there's a reason, right? Jesus doesn't just do something for the sake of doing it. Uh, Jesus has intentionality. He has heart. He has a reason. He has purpose. Always, always, always. Never forget that. Jesus doesn't just flippantly act on his own. He's always guided by the Spirit. He's always in step and unison with the Father. Never does anything outside the will of the Father. Always has a purpose. Well, let's see what that purpose is. Verse 9. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask me for a drink. A woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so then Jesus kind of does his little little Jesus thing here. Instead of answering her directly, what he's going to do, he's going to ask her a question. He's going to answer her question uh, with a question. And this question is not just going to be any kind of little question. This is going to be a question that's going to really get some things kicked off. That's really going to get this conversation going in a certain direction. That's going to be a little sub below the surface, if you know what I'm talking about. So verse 10, Jesus answers her. And he says this. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a drink of living water. See, this, this lady doesn't have a clue. She doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. She doesn't get it. She isn't in tune with Why? Because she's enslaved. She's enslaved to her flesh. She's dead spiritually. There's no pulsate of spiritual anything in her. I mean, she's she's lost. Not just like a little lost, but she's really, really lost. You know what I'm talking about? I know there's really not like a category that's either lost or saved, but but, but, but sometimes we'll look at people like, man, they are are way gone. They are too far gone. If you was to look at her story and to understand who she is, that's who she is. She is. She's the one that you would never imagine or think stepping foot in a church. She's the one that you would never imagine her having anything at all to do with faith or with God or with Jesus. That's who this woman is. And so she responds. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She, she don't have a clue. Like, like she, she's not even on the same, wa- same wavelength as Jesus. She, she doesn't know what he's talking about. She probably in this moment is saying, like, like this dude has lost it. No wonder this Jewish guy wandered up in here in the middle of the day at the well whenever he has, when these people have nothing to do with us. He doesn't even know who he is or what he's doing. I mean, I can just imagine what she's thinking. But here goes Jesus, verse 13. He continues on. He says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, the amazing thing is not that I can just get water from Jesus here, but that this water that he is going to give is going to take away thirst. What thirst does it take away? What, what, what do you do? He's not even talking about like physical water. He's not talking about being outside in the heat in a good South Carolina summer day. And you're just thirsty. He's talking about something far greater than the, the physical need of water to keep us alive, to sustain us, uh, uh, to, to replenish us. He's talking about something far greater than that. It's the spiritual need to drink and lap up from the Word of God and who He is and who Jesus Christ is. That's what He's talking about. So when Jesus says, man, I can give you something that will cause you to never thirst again. He's saying that, that your thirst and your desire for the things of the world, that'll be gone with. That there's something that I will give you that will be far greater that you'll, you'll never have to chase after again. It's even better than that. What he's going to do is he's going to turn this spring that, that he's going to offer and give. He's going to give it that brings eternal life to yourself and to others. He's going to give you that spring. So it doesn't just end with her getting it, us getting it. But it's also given to us why? so that we can give so that we can invite in, so that we have to go through a certain place. Why? Because we're on the same mission that Jesus was on. We've got the same heart that Christ has. We've got to get the message out. So verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I mean, I can, I can just imagine, like, the look on Jesus' face. I mean, this, he's engaging this woman at a time and a day that you shouldn't do that, and he does it, and he's having a conversation with her, and, and, and I'm sure, I mean, just like, okay, he's, this is going to happen, and it's just like, ah, oh, she's, she's not, not there. Not there. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with a lost person? Like, they like, just does not get it? Like, I can remember a time, like, we, um, uh, we'd built a house, and the, uh, uh, we'd put the, the countertops in and stuff like that. Well, they didn't seal the countertops, and the reason we found that out is because we made pancakes uh, with food coloring. First of all, who makes pancakes with food coloring? My in-laws do, with my boys. And you know me, and they are way worse than I am with their cleanliness and food coloring and creativity side. And so they're making pancakes, and when they finish, oh, dear, Lord, come quickly. There's red dots and green dots, because it's a Christmas, all over the countertops, these new countertops. And I'm thinking, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth in this house if this does not come up. And it didn't. But we got the concoction, we called them, they made it. So anyways, I tell that story to say this, that, that um, a few days later, the granite company, they come back out. And you know what they do? They seal it. They seal that. And so I'm there. I let them in. There's two of them. We're talking. I mean, some of the things that they are saying, 
like it's, like it's not even like, like bad language or bad talk. It's just like some of this like crazy like, like God type stuff that they're talking about that doesn't even align. It's like they've, they've picked and they've, they've chosen some different religions and they've kind of just like messed it all together or they were like watching a special on YouTube one time and it kind of, it kind of got them or, or, or TBN or whatever it may have been and it's just like, like all these different like crazy religions and they just kind of like boiled it down to one and they start to just talk to me and, and, and I am just like, what in the world? I, I got, like I've, I've read the book and I don't, I, don't, I don't see that anywhere in there. And so I just lovingly challenged them, lovingly said, hey, well, I, and I tried to take him to Scripture and tell him, and it, it was a very interesting conversation, to say the least. And so I can just imagine Jesus here in this moment. She's just not getting it, and she's just so far away from what Jesus is talking about. So what does he do? He gives up and moves on, right? Okay, well, she, she'll just never get it. Poor thing. Uh, no, 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 no. He, he doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't even come remotely close to doing that. Uh, okay, she's not getting it. I'm going, to, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And, and so as I was just praying, as I was just looking, as I was thinking about this, I, I just want to press you this morning not to give up on that person that God's put on your heart. That, that crazy, whacked-out conversation that you're having, continue to engage and walk with. Keep praying for and engaging them with the gospel. Keep engaging them with love and with grace and with mercy. I mean, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. You, you never know what God will do even in the midst of. And so what Jesus does in this moment is this, is he takes a different route. He's going to address a very vulnerable spot in her life. Look, look at what he does in verse 16. Uh, Jesus says to her, go, go call your husband and come here. Why would he do that? See, because Jesus knew some things about that day. He was aware of the culture that he was in. He was aware of the day and his surroundings that he's in. Why would there be a woman at a well in the middle of the day? Because she wasn't allowed to be there with anybody else. Because this woman's got a past. This woman's got some issues. This woman's got some struggles. This woman isn't allowed to be with and to be around. And what does Jesus do? He goes right for it. He doesn't back off. He doesn't. Why would, he, why would Jesus do that? And I believe that he would do that as this. Because the quickest way to someone's heart is through a hurt, a struggle, or a deep need. You want to get someone's attention? Just apply a little bit of pressure on that wound. Apply a little bit of pressure in that area that's super sensitive. See what happens. See what happens. And I know we live in a day and a time where like, well, what? Shouldn't he be afraid of offending? I mean, shouldn't he be afraid of, of upsetting her and offending her? And be, What are you going to offend her in? I mean, what, what do you, what do you, what do you, where is she headed already? I mean, she doesn't know about this living water that Jesus has offered. I mean, she's not a part of. The greatest desire for us, church, should be to, to, to see the lost world saved. And so if we have to have difficult conversation or we need to press a little bit here or there to try to get some attention in a loving way, there's a loving and right way to do it. And then may we do it. May we do it. And so what Jesus is doing, he's setting her up. Why? Because Jesus has on his heart to see this woman converted, to see this woman come to life from death. And may that be our heart. I mean, I, I was just thinking what God could do through us if we would just get that serious and put that much energy and effort into going after the lost. Man, what he could do. 
Verse 17, John 4 here, verse 17 says, The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. Do what? I mean, you can't say that in today's world. Yeah. I mean, they will blast you on Facebook for heaven's sakes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you will be unfriended and removed from in a moment. But Jesus knew that the weight of the soul was so much more than likes. So much more than applaud. So much more than, than all the shallow, nonsensical type. I don't even know if nonsensical is a word. Nonsensical type stuff that's out there. He, he didn't care because he knew that this woman had a great need in her life, and he was going for it. I mean, I mean, you're talking about going fast and hard. There it was. I mean, can you just imagine all this running through her mind? Who the heck does this dude think he is? Showing up here at this well, asking for some water, and then telling me that he's got water. He ain't got nothing to even draw the water from. I mean, this guy's loony and crazy as it is. And I just want you to look here in a minute. Look, look, at, look at what happens in this conversation. This woman is quick to just throw a little conviction sidestep, isn't she? Like football season's coming, like, like a little, little stiff arm, a little, little Jesus juke there for a moment. Uh-uh, I ain't going to deal with that. I mean, I mean she, she quickly tries to get Jesus on a different topic. Look, look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Good perception. A little bit more than that, but good perception. Um, verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. There's that little Jesus juke, that, that little conviction sidestep real quick, if we may. A little, little, little stiff arm for a second. She tries to get him off of what he's saying, where he's going, where he's headed down. And see, a confronted sinner, they will throw out the rules of logic in a moment. The world that is lost and dying will throw out the rules of logic in a second. See, this is how this conversation went. Well, since we're talking about my five husbands and my adultery, um, what is your stance on the issue of where people should worship? I mean, great response, is it not? A little too close for comfort, the question that he's asked, the, dig, uh, the digging around, the trying to figure out, which I'm at a well at a particular time in the day, which would give evidences of some things in my life that probably haven't went very well. And so as that happens, he asks me a pointed question, and I, so what about the weather? Man, did you see that thunderstorm last night? Crazy. Or how's the tires on your truck? Good tread, not good tread. You don't want to drive a low tread, dude. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, how crazy is this logic? A pointed question, and she goes to where people should worship. Has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus just said. Nothing to do. So if I can encourage you this morning is this, man, just continue to lovingly challenge and walk with. Continue to lovingly press on when you get the opportunity. And do it in a way that, that, that honors God. Don't browbeat. Don't wear out. Don't, uh, when God puts on your heart to, to do something, do it. But just stay the course. Man, man lovingly engage. And just know that if a conscience is truly clean, Reason can hold sway, but if it's not, then you'll, you'll, you'll be a part of a rational chatter, and that's what we have going on here. And I think the thing about this story that just gets me, that, that, that I, just, I, I just read and I look at, and it's just very, very interesting to me, is that after this moment, Jesus never goes back to the issue of adultery. 
He never throws up in her face. He never circles back around. He never tries to prove his point. He never tries to smear in the middle of it. He just lovingly brings it up, and then he's like, okay. What's he doing? He's giving room for God. Church, hear me. We've got to give room for God. You know what I'm saying? We cannot be Holy Spirit police. Now, we tell truth. We live by truth. We model truth, holiness, righteousness. We live by those standards. We, we, we follow after that as we follow Christ. But we don't need to browbeat. We, we don't need to ch- uh, chuck Bibles at people. Like I can remember uh, in, in my life, mine and Meredith, we were, um, there was this, this young lady that we came across that, that we knew that was um, kind of just a part of our circle. Well, uh, she went, went through some things. and she went through some things, she um, just, just got involved in some sinful, some sinful stuff. Sinful stuff. And, and so I can just remember um, in that, it, I mean, it just, tore, it just tore people up around her. I mean, they just couldn't stand it. They, just, they were constantly just oh, on her. And, and I can remember Meredith and I said, hey, let's go after her. But let's do it different. So what do we do? We invited her to dinner. And we got to hear her heart. Let's let her talk. I said, look, you know we love you. Anything we can ever do, we're there. And by the way, we'd love to take you out to dinner again next week. You know, you're not buying, we're buying. You know where we stand on the issue. We believe this. We believe this is what God teaches. And we care for you. For you. Period. Never brought it up again that day. Next week when we met with her, never brought it up. Every once in a while, we'd just shoot her a text, hey, thinking about you, praying for you. Just wanted to check on you. Anything you need, anything we can do, anything we can... And you know what? You know what happened in that girl's life? I mean, she came back. She came back. We didn't chuck not one Bible. We didn't guilt trip. We didn't uh, go crazy on. We didn't uh, uh, kidnap her and take her to the altar and like swab her down with some good holy water. Nothing like that. If you're from one of those churches, see me after. We'll talk later. I got some stories too. I'm just joking. I'm joking. But no, no. We just, we just lovingly engaged and we stayed the course and we cared for her soul. Or so. So, so now what happens here is Jesus' foot is in the door. He's going to take the very issue that she raised and he's going to use it to engage her in such a way that's going to convert her into what? A true worshiper. You're going to see this girl's heart change. See, she raised the issue of where people ought to worship, but Jesus responds with the who and the how. See, she was concerned about the where. Jesus didn't give a rip about the where. He was concerned about the who and the how. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, he says, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Church, hear me. It's not the location that makes an act of worship authentic. You hear me? It's not the location that makes the act of worship authentic. Worship is not merely an external act you accomplish by going to a place. And hear me, this is not an argument for you to spend all fall on the tree stand either. Or all fall at the ball field. It's not an excuse for that because we're commanded, we're called to be at the house of the Lord, to worship together with the body, uh, not to the assembling that we we need to but hear me I go sometimes because i know that you can worship there you should be worshiping everywhere you go you should be taking this with you everywhere that you go we're not about perfect attendance that's not what this is about we believe that you can be just as effective in your community 
somewhere else on a Sunday morning as you can here. But that doesn't give you the right and the excuse not to ever be here. It's kind of a double-edged sword there. So what are you saying? Do you want us here? Do you not want us here? We want you here. You should have a desire and a longing to be here. It's the heart that doesn't, that pushes so hard and fights against this, that would cause me to question, maybe they don't know or they don't understand. Maybe they're not who they think they are in Christ. So this is not what this is. This is not God giving us an out here. God letting us know and correcting our theology and our understanding of worship. Because, church, hear me. If worship for you is just on a Sunday morning at the 10 o'clock hour, this is not worship for you. If, if you're not worshiping the moment you leave this place to the time we gather back here again, you're not worshiping. Worship doesn't happen with the band. Worship doesn't happen with the crazy guy on the stage screaming at everybody. Yeah, this is part of worship too. Sorry to, to break your heart there. The location makes no difference. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And I think what breaks my heart so much is the amount of people that come to church week in and week out and truly, honestly, never engage in worship. Never connect with God. Never engage and partake in. Would rather nitpick or catch up on the latest. Don't really get connected to the heart of God and reflect back to God the value of his worth. And besides that, I mean, we live in a very consumeristic day, do we not? Where this gathering is all about what you got or what you didn't get. To which I would argue that's not worship either. If that's your heart and your motive for coming into this place, that's not it. It's not what did I get from being here, but it's what did I bring by being here. And maybe, just maybe the reason why we haven't broke through yet is because of you. And what I mean by that is this, is if your desire and your heart when you walk into this place is not for the glory of God and the glory of God alone, then this place will never be what you expect it to be. You will never get from this what you hope to get from this that will sustain you for the week to come. If you haven't came in with the heart of participation and the heart of making it all about his glory, his fame, and his great name. Because hear me, when there's sin in the camp, and trust me, that is sin. When we come in nitpicky, tearing down, picking apart, trying to, uh, I didn't get this, I didn't get that. Uh, that is sin. And when there's sin in the camp, God will not bless. That's a great place to start for worship, a broken heart. So it goes on, verse 23, he says this, this is Jesus. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now we're into our first point. Now, that wasn't the introduction. That was part of the whole sermon too. The first point is this, the how of worship. We see what Jesus says there. True worshipers will worship the Father how? In spirit. That's how we're to worship the Father. In spirit. What does that mean? We're embodied, we're encapsulated in this flesh. How, how in the world do we worship him in spirit whenever, uh, whenever we're physically here in this moment, in this flesh, in this body, uh, with skin and with, with all of this stuff? What, what does that even mean? See, the believer will worship him in spirit because what has happened is there's been the new birth. We've gotten a new heart. 
The Spirit has indwelt us, lives in us. And so as a result of that, we're going to connect with God as a born-again believer. Our Spirit is going to resonate with the Spirit of God and is going to reflect glory and honor back to God. It's going to connect with the heart of God. Hear me, you cannot worship if you're lost. I mean, you can worship, but you're not worshiping God. You cannot worship him, connect with him, and glorify him in a way that's going to honor him and connect you with him if you are not his. So the how we worship is in spirit. The Holy Spirit in us awakens us to the reality of his greatness and his goodness, and in that we are overwhelmed and grateful for him. It's being aware of and ecstatic over the fact that he did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And only he can awaken in us the reality of that. Only he can help us get a right, true perspective of who we are. See, worship in the Spirit only happens when we're made alive in Christ through salvation. And we're made aware of God's worth and value. How? By the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the only way that we can worship in spirit. Which brings us to the who, the truth, the truth. The how is in spirit, the who is the truth. I thought we were here to worship God. Great question. See, the believer worships in truth because of a right, good view of who God is. John 14, 6 says this. It'll be on the screen for you. John 14, 6 and 7. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the what? Truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you will do know him and have seen him. He is the truth. He is the truth. What you know rightly about Jesus is this, is that Jesus is God in the flesh, and he does exactly what he tells this lady at the well. Hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been looking for. I'm the anointed one of God who has come to rescue, who has come to redeem. That's who I am. That's the truth we gather around this morning in worship. Who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us. The perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. I mean, get, get, your, get your head around this story for a minute. Uh, you've got this horrific woman at the well in the middle of the day that no one wants to engage that she's out there because she's no good, she's not clean, she's not worth nothing. She's trash is what she is. Let's just call it right. She is trash and unworthy of love and grace and mercy, and she deserves damnation in hell, that little... And what happens? Jesus meets her at the greatest place that she has need, and he engages her when the world says, to hell with you. He engages her with the greatest news that she could ever be made aware of. That's what he does. He engages, stirs up conversation, and goes for it. Why? Because he cared about her soul. She was more than what she's done. She's worth more than what her past says that she's worth. And so God engages her and shows her who he truly is. Shows her why he's come. Church, the thing that you need to know is that we are the woman at the well. That's who we are. This story is us. 
We're the no good, not wanted trash that's not deserving and worthy of anything good. But God in his love and mercy reaches down and sends his son and picks us up and makes us aware of exactly who he is and what he's done. That's what's so amazing about the story. He shows her the truth. And the truth is going to set her free. The truth is going to forever change her life. Verse 24 says this in John 4. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes... He will tell us all things. It's kind of like, uh, hello? I mean, have you not? Okay. So Jesus just clarifies in 26. I who speak to you am he. It rocks this girl's world so greatly that she runs and tells everybody. She can't be around them people. She don't give a rip what the rules say. Because when you've been found out and the truth has been told to you and you understand what you deserve and what you should have and what you should get, I don't care what anybody else's opinion of me is. Because the one whose opinion that actually matters has already spoken. So who cares about your little opinion? His opinion is supreme. His, his opinion is the one, is the only one that matters. And that's where she lands. That's where real worship comes from. That's where the Spirit grabs a hold of our heart. And we say to heck with everybody else. Because I've got a God who cares. I've got a God who has rescued me in my adultery, in my shame, in my sin, in my rebellion. And he says that this is who I am. I know that Messiah's coming, and this is what he's going to do. Well, sister, guess what? I'm here. And I'm doing exactly what you said that I would. And her life is forever, ever changed. So as the band comes back up, I just want to say this to close out. Worship must be real from the Spirit within. And it must be based on a right and true understanding of God. And when you start at that place and you understand who you are through that, now true worship can happen. Now true worship can happen. Because church, hear me. I don't believe it's an accident that you're here this morning. I, I don't believe it's just by some happenstance that you wandered into this place, that you made it, that you're, that you're here, that you're part of this gathering. I, I don't believe it's an accident. I don't believe God does accidents. I don't be, believe that God has, oops, they made it. I, Holy Spirit, did you really think? I didn't think. Did, Jesus, come here for a second. Look, they're there. There's none of that in heaven. He knows. He's aware. He, he is fully aware of what's happening and what's taking place, no accidents. So just as Jesus had a need to go through Samaria, he knew all along that you would be here and hear this message. Why this message? Why in the world a little summer three-week series on worship about a woman at the well and what true worship looks like? Because church, that's, that's worship in real life, is it not? I mean, that's worship in real life. Because the reality is there's, there's two types of people in the world. There's lost and there's saved. There's people who need to be told the truth and engaged and invited in. And it's our privilege and honor and responsibility to do that. 
there's the lost and then there's the saved. And even in that category of born again saved, you worship in spirit and truth. And the way that you worship in spirit is whenever your spirit can connect with God's and be in line with his. And the only way that that can happen is if sin's been confessed. Sin's been repented of. The way that the Holy Spirit works in us is he, he makes us aware of those areas that are in rebellion. And he does just like Jesus did here with the woman. He presses on it a little bit and he says, all right now, come on, boy, you're mine. Scott, why did you think like that? Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Why did you act that way or react that way? Why did you, come on, man. You can't worship me the way that I've called you to worship me with that junk there. So let's do something with it. And so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've come into this place as a believer and there's just some things that you need to confess and repent of. And the beautiful thing about conviction, like church, you've got you, if you don't get this, you will try your life out. Trying to earn it and, and have God do something for you that he's already done. If you don't get that conviction, it's from the Holy Spirit because he's in you. Or he's drawing you to save you, but that he's in you. And it lets you know that you're his I mean, that your life is so much more. The expectation that he has for you is so much greater than what you've even thought of for yourself. And conviction is not a bad thing, but it's a good gift of God. Where he says, come on, let's get this right. Let's get this worked out so we can get on with it. Two, the second question I ask you is this. How, how's your worship? I mean, I mean how's, and I'm not talking about the station in your car. I'm not talking about whether you like the band or don't like the band or... Where's the electric guitar, man? We can't have worship if it's not shredding, dude. I mean, I don't, nobody talks like that. Sorry. I mean, but, but, but how's your worship? What, what I mean by that is this. Do you still marvel at the reality of God saving you? The fact that God would send his son for you. I don't know about you, but it blows my mind the fact that he would die for me. And the thing that I'm not able to get over is the fact that he would die for me, save me, rescue me, knowing good and well that I would rebel and that I would fight hard for life, life that doesn't glorify and bring him honor. That I would fight hard for self-life. To do what I want to do, to live how I want to live, to act how I want to act, to say what I want to say, to respond the way that I want to respond. And there are times that I good and well do it. And not once, not once in heaven has he ever thought, oh, Holy Spirit, I told you that we shouldn't have. Not once has he ever had that thought or inclination regardless of what maybe the church has told you or some uh, bumbling fool who stands up here and proclaims this week in and week out has told you or made you feel uh, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't regret the fact that he sent his son for you. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. That's what's so amazing about grace. It's in spite of us. And he still does it. And so if that doesn't amp you up just a tinge, I don't know what will. 
authentic connection with God. That's what worship is, our spirit with his. Or is this just a routine or a habit that you've learned at a 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? And then the last question I'd ask you is this, who do you worship today? I mean, honest to goodness, who, what altar did you bow at today? What altar did you bow at? Maybe to say it like this. Are you living with the Messiah complex? Are you the one that deserves worship and honor and glory? Or is it the true Messiah and King of kings and Lord of lords? Because out there in our world, that truth has gotten really, really blurred about what this is about. We don't gather here for anyone in this room other than Jesus. And he's here. Whether you think so or not, yeah, we're one of those churches that believes in the Holy Spirit and he moves and he works. Absolutely yes and amen. That's why we've gathered in this place this morning. Not for one of these. Not, not, not for the guy that stands here. Not for the one that sits in the seats but for the glory and the renown of the one who has kicked death in its teeth, has robbed and taken back what was rightfully his. That's why we gather in this room. So you will never worship if it's all about you, what you like or what you don't like, what you expect or what you don't expect. What is the truth that you believe? Is he worthy of it? Am in him alone. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't know if you don't. I don't know if, uh, uh, how was your worship, if it's authentic or not. We would love to walk with you through that. Maybe you need to come repent. Maybe you need to uh, be encouraged. Maybe you need to open up some scriptures and look at. Maybe you need to be prayed for. I don't know what that looks like. But if you haven't come to this place this morning expecting to connect and see Jesus and lift him high, then you'll walk away disappointed and depleted for yet another week. So may we set our heart, our affections, our desires on the Messiah, anointed one of God, who came to redeem and rescue for his glory, for his honor. Father, help us this morning in this place to work as only you see fit. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, move, save the lost, connect us with you, convict of sin. In your name we pray, amen.